Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, where your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak, help you go next level with your practice, leveraging the four pillars that make a practice bulletproof. Vision, building a dream team, marketing ninja, and financial freedom. Now, let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Peter Bolden, and our good friend for part two, Jarek Robbins. What's up, Jarek? Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Not sure where people are watching from, but thank you for having me back. Yeah, we loved last time, man. It was like drinking out of a fire hose. There was so much information about biohacks and um, all that really good stuff about- Optimizing human performance. Yep. That's what you call it. And the today, uh, I'm really excited because we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to both Peter and my heart, uh, which is um, that how culture affects your practice. Um, so, Jarek, if you don't mind, jump right into what you're saying just before we hit record. Yeah, um, there's a couple things about this. One, I've always focused first on people, individuals, which is what we were talking about last time. How do you get them to be the happiest, healthiest, strongest, most fulfilled version of themselves with the understanding that when they are, you know, they're more focused, they work harder, they're happier, they're healthier, their performance increases, all this stuff happens. Um, the second interest of mine was always business growth. How do you help, a, you know, a medium, the small size business grow? And then as I learned, a big part of my speeches used to be, you know, you got to do what you're passionate about. If you don't like your job, quit and go start a company that you dream about. And that way your love is your job and your job is your love. And it doesn't even feel like you're working anymore. And I realized the majority of people are going to like that message and be like, yeah, but very small few amount are going to do it and actually go do that. And then it also doesn't make sense. You know, if there's 29 million small businesses, yeah, like right. they need teams that work there too. Everyone can't own the business. And then I was scratching my head and I was asking the question, you know, what's the purpose of business? And I really came up with three things and I'll, I'll try these on for size, see if they fit. Number one is to add value to the community around you you know, add value of some sort. You have to, otherwise you're out of business. So you have to add value. Number two is to generate revenue and profit so that you can feed your family and your team can feed their families and then and, and you can reinvest in your community and, and, you know, you have some money to do so. And then number three was to create a place that the humans who are going to work there can literally become the best human they could possibly be. To create a place where someone can say, after working there for 25 years, I'm a better human because of it. I'm a happier awesome. human because of it. I'm a healthier human because of it. Literally, you've allowed them to flourish as a human being in the process. And I like the concept. It's felt a little um, optimistic because uh, some people get caught on the first one of just adding value or the second one of just making money. And the third one is like, oh, so I'm supposed to just make everyone happy all the time? Like, how's yeah. that going to work? <laughs> you know, it's funny, as you were saying those three, and I don't want to don't derail you in your topic, but I'm, I'm envisioning them in like a circle chart, right? Like bi-directional arrows because they all feed, right? They're all synergistic with what you said. And, and I think those three encompass it. I was trying to, in my exactly. head, to like poke holes in it, but that is like, you That's just made it right there. dead effing simple. <clears throat> yeah. yeah and if you become and obsessed with that process and, and you become obsessed with that simple little three diagram chart, um, you, you can't lose. You can't lose. Yeah. So the, tri uh, the tricky part I had with it though, is when you talk to people, they agree on the concept 
But then they say, well, what does it mean to create a place where people can really thrive and grow and be happy? And, and, and how much does that cost? And like, what, mm-hmm. like, what's that look like? How is, is that going to eat across my bottom line? And you hear all these facts and statistics. And, and first off, just a couple wide ones, which hopefully people are aware of. Um, according to the SBA, Small Business Administration, and the National Federation of Independent Business Owners, 50% of businesses fail in five years and 96% fail in 10 years. So if you're over 10 years, you're one of the 4% miracles, unicorn businesses that have made it. Congratulations. <laughs> and if you're in that 10 year period of time, stay focused. <laughs> you know, yep. that's, that's the part that takes you out. Um, now, here's what's interesting. The second stat that goes with it is out of the 30 or out of the 4% that survived at 10 years, only 39% are profitable. Wow. So, Wait, so out of the 4%, the, the only 4% 39. make it, only about roughly 40% of those are even profitable. The rest so of roughly like two and a half percent, two and a half percent is, yeah. is of that, of that aggregate. Holy cow. Okay. Wow. That's Craig, how long have you been in business? <laughs> um, I've owned the practice. Not you, uh, your, 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 your family. I know what you're about to say. I heard that little uh, em, 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 <laughs> we, empire we've been in business. Um, no, hardly. Uh, 1976, so 42 years. Nice. Wow. So wow. you're part you know, of like that's, 1% or 0. 0.0 something 1% yeah. of businesses. Yeah, and it's challenging. I mean, there's a father-son dynamic as well. There's that mm-hmm. transition. That, that derails a lot of people. I'd love to, um, if you, if, you know, for those of you who are listening and have a father-son issue or some sort of you know, mother-daughter or something like that where your succession planning is going awry, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to help with that type of stuff. That's very challenging as well. Super but challenging. No, it's, yeah, super and usually the third generation screws it up in business. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Pete, the story, the chapter's not fully written yet. So let's, let's, hang, let's see how it all goes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I had to throw that in there. I know. I know. Kick, um, kick, kick the dog when he's down. I'm sorry. I'm just, just, this is my nature. Ask my wife. You got it. Yeah. You got it. We've got your back, man. I know, um, yeah. So, you know, one, it begs the question, what's the difference? What's the difference between the you know, 39 or 2.5% that are profitable and thriving and everybody else? And there was a great book written on it, which I know I heard Dennis talk about it a lot, The Good to Great Book by Jim Collins. And so he started to look for what's the difference between you know, the Fortune 5 or the S&P 500 companies, the Nike, Coca-Cola, Marriott, 3M, all these great, huge companies versus the good to great companies, those 11 companies out of the 1,400 they studied. Gillette, Walgreens, Philip Morris, Abbott, um, Fannie Mae. Well, that one's gone. Uh, but the ones, that, <laughs> well, the, <laughs> the, the book is were, older. The book is older. The ones that were thriving, they were like, what's the difference between the ones who barely make profit and the ones who don't? Um, and, and their returns are interesting. Over three years, it's the difference between 38% versus 73%. Over 10 years, it's the difference between 122% versus 331%. And so it's like, oh my gosh. And there was a huge movement of everyone trying to become a good to great company, mm-hmm. which is awesome. It, it's better. So it's, it's, it's a, almost a couple hundred points higher as far as growth over a 10-year span. But what's interesting, there's a newer book written um, probably in the last six years, I think, uh, called, and they discovered something called Firms of Endearment. And what's wild is in that same 10-year chunk, the S&P 500 grew 122%. So we'll just mark that, 122 over what time period, Jared? So 10 years. Okay, 10 years. So here, 10 years. I'll do a visual. I apologize. So we got 122% rank. 
122. For the S&P 500, okay. For the which, is the, which is also the iconic companies of, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's those top are 500 companies. companies the, yeah. And they're and circulating have, out, so companies are dropping off and companies are going on. So it's yep. the, the top 500 is awesome. Then we have 331% for the good to great. Which Basically, were, good to great is focused on meaning versus making money. Is that a yeah. general? What defines what did what would define though? I mean, S and P obviously we know because it's a metric that you can measure. What defines a good to great company? Oh, I knew this, Craig. It's on you. It was it was um, companies that actually focus on meaning versus making money. Companies that didn't have these iconic ex- external CEOs, but more likely to promote from within. Um, strong um, mobility for for people to rise to the ranks. Um, ethical, you know, it's just, it was the first echelon of like understanding business as something beyond just making So essentially money. people who adopted and lived by the Jim Collins book, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. But I mean, prior to that, it was, a, but they it was did it before different. his book because he was researching uh, them and trying to figure out what it. it Okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, these people are just not actually all right. on making money. But there's no, there's no vetting authority that says, all right, they're a good to great company. It's just, do you do no, there is, There things? is, there is, they, they had them in there. I mean, it's easy okay. to find. All right. So, yeah. all right. So we'll, and then keep and going. Some of the it. companies that made it just, I'll go back a couple of my notes. Um, Gillette, Walgreens, Wells Fargo, Abbott, Philip Morris, all these were considered good to greats. Okay. And so it's interesting. They're huge companies, but here's what's wild. In this new book called Firm of Endearment, they found out there's another group that has a thousand twenty six percent growth over that 10 year period of time, which is that giant awesome chart here called a Mm -hmm. firm of endearment. Firm of endearment. And this is a whole new game. And yeah, so focused the firm on community. of endearment, it's culture is what they're focused on. Yeah. Culture. And so, you know, Peter Drucker says culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, it's all over the news. And the concept is culture is the new uh, capital, meaning people care not only what you do, but they care about who you are and how you do it. Right. You could Just be the we best, were talking about that yesterday on our you podcast. You could be the best dentist, but if you're a total ass in the I mean, a total something in the community <laughs> you lose an asshole yeah. Yeah. and they don't like you and they, they find out who you really are then eventually people stop going to you they'll be like nah we'll go to the other person who, who's maybe two percent less as good as you but they're a great person they're they're a good human they're doing good things and yeah or, Jarek, we, we were just talking about this on our pad, podcast two days ago actually with um vicky we were talking, we were talking about advertising and she's like about, you know, the messaging and I'm like, you know, it's not just the messaging anymore. It's the why you do it. Yep. So like, you know, you look at Tom's shoes, you know, they, I mean, those aren't good <laughs> shoes, man. Those are crappy shoes. I mean, I love them. I wear them, but they're not, they're not like highly researched proper yep. sole technology, but they have a compelling why when yep. you buy one, someone, some kid gets one and it's the same thing for dentistry. It's like, why do you do it? So, well, I'll give you, here's some examples of companies that are considered firms of endearment. So after all the research, when they looked at it, and a firm of endearment takes care of their people, meaning their employees, takes care of their shareholders, takes care of their community, and takes care of a broader service of humanity as well. And so they look at all these pieces, meaning they do something beyond themselves for the world, meaning yeah. they're, they're heavily contributing. They're causing their people to go donate hours. They're, they're, fun, they're funding projects like 
planting trees and like they're literally in the process of trying to take care of the planet just as much as the people, just as much as their shareholders, just as much as the, the clients and the people who buy from them. So they're looking at all of these things and they have to take care of all of them, not just some of them to mm-hmm. qualify. And so companies just- that made the list, Patagonia, Harley Davidson, Costco, Trader Joe's, uh, Southwest, Toyota, UPS, uh, Amazon, all these companies made this list of people where the company's taking care of the whole instead of just a piece. They're not just squeezing, like they, they say Sam's Club and Walmart squeezes their employees to maximize for shareholders mm-hmm. versus these, you know, Costco pays twice as much to their employees, but each employee delivers three times the ROI when they measure it out of compared to a Sam's Club employee. Wow. So their output. Okay. Yeah. But look at Walmart. What Walmart does to the community. Get three times the output. And look at how it's going out of business. It's not even just that they squeeze employees, but like Walmart will take like a pillow manufacturer that's based out of like Ohio and say, if you want us to carry your pillows, you're sending this crap to China. And the guy's like, well, I've had a factory for 40 years and you know, Pearl runs the shipping department. I'm like, no, you want to play with the big boys. We're going to, you got to yep. send your shit to China. So they so squeeze it's not, their employees. It's, they squeeze their people. It's a macro focus. Actually, they go, <clears throat> I learned this too, Craig. They go one step further. Once they do the deal, because they're such a large client, the factory pivots and becomes pretty much almost exclusive to them. Walmart then recognizes them. And the next deal negotiation comes back and says, well, we're going to change our pricing because now we're in charge kind of thing. I just which heard is, that. Which is, but which is fine if your primary objective is just to make money. But millennials especially want to make meaning over money. They'll work harder for meaning over money. And, and I want to just point out because you just mentioned a whole litany of large corporations, but this is exactly what we do in our practice. Yep. So we have a noble cause, which we established like four years ago. It was, why do we exist beyond making money? And our noble cause mm-hmm. is to make the world a better place to, through the power of compassion. So if we're doing our job right, we're making the world a better place because we're giving people compassion and empathy. I know it sounds grandiose to say that, but as a dentist, you can shape people. And you, there, it's a very highly, um, people come to us, they're very scared. They're, they're, they're worried about what's going to happen. They're, they might be, you know, basically handicapped because they can't smile or chew. And we have the power to put, you know, allay their fears and, and to change their lives. And Pete, you know that just as well as anybody with your cosmetic makeovers. People, I was at lunch or dinner with Pete in, in Atlanta and had a guy come over like, that's the best thing I ever did. It was like selling me to go to Pete to get veneers. So, you know, compassion and the skills that we provide, you know, it's hard to do that at Costco. Because Costco is really just selling a box of Kirkland cashews. We're changing people's lives. So I believe this firm of endearment stuff that you're mentioning is more aligned and adaptable to a healthcare professional like dentistry than Harley Davidson or Costco or any of those so types of companies. It's interesting. So they, they, they said, okay, wait a minute. We're instead of trying to squeeze, if we don't squeeze all the pennies out of our suppliers and squeeze all the pennies out of our people, like, what's, I mean, we're going to screw our shareholders here. We're going to screw over ourselves because there's going to be nothing left over. I mean, yeah, we'll be this happy community focused company with barely breaking even. And, and so they ran the numbers to figure out what the returns look like. And I'll, I'll show you the little chart. I was, I was drawing it, but I got a picture of it on my phone here. Let me see if I can show this on the screen. This is what the actual returns look like over that three years, five years, and 10 years. And that giant line of growth on the side, whoops, is, is the firm of endearment. 
And so over, oops, sorry. It, it was getting dark there. There you go. No, it looks good. I can see it. And, and so that giant growth was their returns. And it, it wasn't diff, that much difference over three years, over five years, it started to pull away over 10 years. It just stomps out these other players. And, and that was compared to the good to great companies and compared to the S and P 500, which is crazy. And so not only are they happier people, healthier people, people are loving working there. No one ever wants to leave. Like it, you know, the, the turnover goes down. Um, let me see if I can find a couple of stats that are really interesting. Um, lower turnover, higher productivity. The, the firm of endearment beat the non-firm of endearment competitors by large margins in revenue per employee. Costco earns, I said this one, twice as much as Walmart employees, or they pay twice as much as Walmart employees, but generate three times the revenue per employee when they do the measurements. Uh, Jordan's Furniture, they're a firm of endearment, selling furniture as interesting as this is. Uh, they generate $950 per square foot of sales compared to the average of $150 per square foot in an average furniture store. And they turn over their inventory 13 times a year compared to one or two times on average for most. And so they're taking care of their people. They're taking care of the community. They're taking care of everyone who's going to, you know, what's going on around them in the ecosystem as far as their suppliers, their people, their customers, the community, a service to the greater good. And in doing that, they're beating all the other companies too, which for some people makes sense. For me, it makes sense. But for people I've sat down with, with business owners, it doesn't always make sense because they're like, you want me to invest in what? <laughs> and so here's the 10 tenants. I'll throw these out there. You said a couple of them. Um, the 10 tenants of a firm of endearment. Number one is a culture of learning. So, so making it available to have your team constantly learning and growing as humans. So the goal is they become a better human by working there because they've learned something about themselves, something about their life, something about a new skill. They've learned, they've grown as a human. Two, a culture of trust. Um, it was talking about how some of these companies, and, and this is just uh, you know, a wider piece, but they, 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 give cert, you know, they give employees more capacity to make things right with a customer. They trust them yeah. and say, hey, I'll yeah. give you the ability to have $200 anytime to make it right. You decide yeah. when it's right. Huge. And it's like they trust Huge. them. You know, it, it, they don't have to fill out a form and fax it to corporate and wait three days to see what happens. And hopefully it yeah. goes good for the employee or the customer. Sorry about this, ma'am or sir. Like, no, no, they trust them. Uh, I want to touch. Sorry, Jarek. I want to touch on that because I want to make it relevant because in Dennis, you know, Pete and I are just kind of really quickly adapting this into how this works in our practices. Please. But I just want to just basically tell that tenant alone how that could work in your practice. So you have a brand new hygienist and this happened to me. This is an actual story. We always want the employees of our company, the team members to be able to make it right for whoever it is. And if you have to talk to the office manager, the owner, you're going to be robotic. You're not going to turn your brain on. You're not going to think your way through a problem. And at that moment, because dentistry is just, it's a service industry. We're not making something. You can't quality control it and pull it out of the assembly line. So you've got to tell your people that they've, have to be able to think on their feet to make it right for the patient. So the other day I had a new hygienist in and a patient was upset because they didn't realize that the fluoride treatment cost like $20 or actually $37. It's always the fluoride, dude. It's, it's always, always the fluoride. The fluoride. <laughs> so they're having this, you know, basically an argument because the hygienist feels like she's going to get in trouble if she thinks on her feet and tries to make it right. So I, I pull her aside. I'm like, you know, her name's Mercedes. I'm like, Mercedes, 
I want, what would you do if this was your business? What would you do if you were the only, if this was your business? She's like, of course, I would not charge them the fluoride. I'm like, so why would you not do it here? Well, I just didn't know we are allowed to do that. I'm like, well, you know, yes. And I talked to her. I'm like, I need you thinking. I need you making it right. I don't care about doing, making the revenue. I care about making the experience good. Because if the experience is good, then, and she was just, her whole mind blew <clears throat> wide open because she's not used to that work. I think we, as we dentists, think- Craig, though, that makes a business owners a little bit nervous. I'm just going to play devil's advocate, even though I agree with you. Because what are the parameters, <clears throat> right? Like your way of making it right may not be right. So what are the parameters? Be like, oh, you know what, Mr. Jones, we'll but just you give you fr- free you cleanings this- forever. Right, like, but when you open up this this idea that people need to turn their brains on, so work has made people stupid. You have a whole bunch of people that are, you know, yep. successful in their own lives, or they might be a single mother. They got they got to work on time. They got dressed on time. They go to work, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, boss, can I go pee? Hey, boss, can I have it? Can I eat? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's like almost like they they get work makes people dumb. And what I think the part, the tenant to what you're talking about, Jarek's talking about these firms of endearment, is that you're you're encouraging people to think to themselves. And when you do that, it opens up a Pandora's box because there will be an employee that says, hey, free cleanings for life. But the spirit of why she did that is taking the very best care of a patient, which is, which is one of our core values. So I'd rather people think and make mistakes in a way to do what's right and then correct them than mm-hmm. be scared. Because yep. if there's a, if there's a culture – yeah, so that's what I'm – okay, so, yeah. sorry, Jerry. I just three? want to bring it to Let's, dentistry. Yeah. Uh, three, culture of respect. They respect each other, respect the clients, respect the business, respect, they have respect from the management. It's not just, oh, tell employee number seven, stop that shit. Like, (laughs) as silly as that sounds, it happens. You go to businesses and people lose respect for each other. Someone's the boss and they're the employees and they have to listen. And, and so, you know, that's pretty pervasive not, not a lack of disrespect, but in dentistry, that's a big problem. You know, we always talk about dental school, you know, no, 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 not even that, not even that. I mean, yes, there's that, but the drama of there's, you know, we always hear about the drama amongst, amongst, you know, departments or, you know, um, and and so, yeah. So you're, I I love that, that, you know, so what, what is some tangible exercises? Like these concepts are great, but like, how do you execute on that? Of course. So with trust, the example is figuring out how to create that feeling where they know they're trusted to make it right, to make the right decision. So like you said, what are the parameters? Mm-hmm. What seems right at a mm-hmm. certain, you know, I think it was Marriott or a certain hotel. They, they give the front desk employees up to $200 in credit or vouchers to make anything right immediately on the spot. And they have to run it, like Craig said, as if this was your business. So you wouldn't make, hand make it out to everybody. Win. Yeah, make it good for you, good for the business, and good for the patient. Yeah, and, and you got everybody's got to win. Sometimes you got to say, "Hey, it's not right to give this person the twenty dollars fluoride." Like I talked to them, I mentioned it. They know I mentioned it, and then they mm-hmm. at the end said they didn't know. That's not right. Like right. we talked about it. Okay, it's twenty dollars. Um, or yeah, just don't hit the easy button. I guess that's that's the thing. Like right, like be fair, be kind. What would you do in that situation? But but don't just don't default to giving shit away. Right? Well, you yeah. just want you want people to think if they yep. th- if, if they That's have the a why. If if you said the reason why I did it is because of blah blah blah, and he sent his cousin Tony over here, and Tony was and then like okay, golden. I just don't want people being robotic. Yep. You know. And so that that goes back to the first one, learning. Meaning you guys right. are having learning days and training days of of thinking days. 
where, you know, you take time every so often, you bring people aside for a few hours and you think through this stuff and you learn about it. And there is, I think it's Toyota. They have something called Iugawa. I can't say the name right, but they have this time where they get together. And Isn't in- that spicy sea urchin, Iugawa? <laughs> No, with, with, with soy paper sorry hold on let me see if i can find it i'll get you the right name real quick oh, i know they have kaizen it's not kaizen it's it's one so here here's what the book looks like if y'all want to grab a copy um, oh, so one more time sorry so here's the Arms book of endearment okay. i'm excited about this one yeah it's a really i just mailed it to my dad for his company it, it, it's it's amazing um, such validation because these these principles i, I put in a, a while ago years ago yeah, but the research the finally do. backs it up, which that's, is awesome. That's, that's going to be your next book, Craig, Practices of yeah. Endearment. So let's yeah. see. Let me find trust real quick. Um, your next book. So here are some of the manifestations in a culture. So authenticity, say what you mean and mean what you say, versus traditional companies rely on spin control. <laughs> so something goes wrong and, and you just find a way to spin it. Uh-huh. Uh, versus uh-huh. this one's authenticity. Transparency. Now, this is a big one. Some of these companies, so New Balance and Patagonia, they share everything that's going on in the financials of the company with the whole team. So the whole team knows how they're doing mm-hmm. and if they're on track or off track hitting the goal. Craig, that you might do, be, do, I, do, I do that we do as, as well. well. And you do as well, Craig. So, yeah. And I don't think that's super common. I don't think all practices do that. No, most don't. Um, yeah, and I would recommend that's an easy, transparent, like, um, thing to do. Well, so, you have to you have to have this conversation of like, guys, even though we're doing a million dollars of of earnings, the, the, I don't I take that home. A, yeah, we don't <laughs> take that home. You cost money, and and it's just good to have those conversations. Like, you know, I have a couple of hygienists that are on commissions, and we're trying or we're 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 creating leadership positions in our practice, and we're telling them you can get you know if you do more and make something more pr- productive or profitable, you can have a piece of that. However, we can't yeah. violate these parameters. We can't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a nice guy and I'll let you do whatever you want, but it, it'll hurt the business, which will ultimately hurt all of you guys. So yeah. it just encourages everybody to be a stakeholder. Think like a business owner. Finally, the Bulletproof Practice book is out on Amazon. Craig and I have distilled down our experiences in dentistry over the past 20 years in our true to form unfiltered fashion that y'all have come to expect from our podcast we talk about our victories and our bruises and it's 132 pages of vision leadership marketing and even just life as a dentist and it's meant to entertain you so we hope you'll support us and grab a copy on amazon today thanks friends so going back to thinking here's an interesting one it was honda and it's called way w-a-i gaia g-a-y-a and through which rank is put aside so that problem solutions can be freely offered by staff at all levels in the meeting. So they have, it's a meeting that's called, Perfect. rank is gone, and it's everyone's idea counts. Everyone throw in an idea of how to solve this. Super important, by the way. Super important. Because the problem <laughs> happens at the periphery. Yep. So if you imagine like a typical org chart of like CEO, vice president, mm. the problem is that the, you know, an organization is yeah. kind of like an amoeba. And the outer edge is where it's interacting with the world. So like the fluoride breakdown is happening at the line level, like, you know, hygiene assistance. The tentacles, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the tentacles. That's where the, that's where the breakdown is. Yeah, and it will never get all the way back to the, to the nucleus of the cell. Because then the nucleus is somewhat removed for problem solving. Yeah. So why? Yeah. why we don't have be, a problem like that. 
Yeah, that's that's great. I love that. Okay. Um, so moving forward, culture of caring, culture. What of number are we on? Uh, I think we're on three. Okay. How about this? I'll run through them real quick just to get the high level, and then we'll dive in, and I'll give you some examples of, of okay. different ones. All right. So, so number one was a culture of learning. Number two is a culture of trust. Number three is a culture of respect, respecting each other, respecting the whole team, the clients, the community. Culture of interdependency, where you, they know you depend on them and they depend on you. It's not like I could replace you any day of the week. Mm-hmm. No, no, we depend on each other. I need you to be here and you need me to be here. Like we, we're counting on each other. Um, culture of caring, caring about people, the business, the clients, the community. Culture of integrity, say what you say and do what you say. Um, versus that spin culture we talked about. So culture of fun, be childlike, not childish is the phrase. Childlike, you know, big eyes of wonder and being there, not, not childish, <laughs> but childlike. Mm-hmm. Uh, culture of transparency, we talked about showing the financials, showing what's really going on and so they know what's happening. Culture of belonging and oneness, um, that, that one's bringing people together, having other things that bring them together besides just the job they have to do, where they're invited to be a part of if they like culture of loyalty, uh, where, where, you know, you're loyal to them, they're loyal to you. And, and you guys, y'all don't, so those are the 10 tenants. Um, and you know, mutual loyalty, here's one. So from Southwest, uh, Herb Kelleher, the, the CEO of Southwest, he said, we could have furloughed at various times and been more profitable, but that's short sighted. You want to show your people that you value them and you're not going to hurt them just to get a little more money in the short term. Right. That was an exact well, quote. Well, look, we're talking about community because I, I love this. And this is from Chuck Blakeman, who I, who I um, lectured with quite a bit. And Chuck Blakeman wrote, uh, wrote a couple of books. And one of his fundamental tenets is that it's all about community. <clears throat> a group of, you know, it used to be team. And you, when you talk about good to great era, it was all about team, a group of people organized around a task. Yep. And now it's all about community, community, which is a group of people organized around a relationship. Mm-hmm. And families don't furlough each other. Like if you have a limited amount of food and you have 10 people in your family, you all eat less food. And iconic cultural companies have gone to people and said, hey, we don't want to lay off 15% of our people. Is everybody okay taking a 4% pay cut or a 3% pay cut for six months and we'll pull together and we'll get through this. I mean, that builds massive value. So that could be done as well. If, if you have the dental practice that's going through some challenges, don't lay, you know, instead of laying people off, have that, that conversation where it's like, Hey, can everybody just take, I'll take no salary. I'll take a dollar this year, you know? And would you guys be willing to take 5% less for, you know, three months or four months and see how it could work if we could pull it all together rather than get rid of one of our family members. I think that messaging is so strong. Yep. I think the other part that happens again, right about now, people are thinking, well, wait a minute, what happens financially? Like, where does it go? Now that's where you got to come back to that concept of this is what happens over 10 years. (laughs) Like the 10 year gap here, it's the difference between 122% growth, 331% growth, or 1,026% growth. Like that's what these companies are doing. When they're doing these 10 tenants, when they're taking care of, you know, the customers, the employees, society, uh, if they're public partners and investors, if they're taking care of all of this and they're really thinking in this whole minded concept, <coughs> they, the first three years doesn't make a huge difference. Five years, it starts to pull apart. 10 years, it's a different universe of, of return and growth. Um, I think it was an eight to one ratio, the, the firm of endearment versus the good to greats. And I, I love how it's all wrapped together as 
shareholder, employee, community. Because in actuality, if you have a wildly profitable company that's treating the employees really well, making shit tons of money and destroying the community. That sucks. You're not, that sucks. (laughs) It's not aligned. It's not, it's the, or, or if it's, or if it's doing really good things for the community and making tons of uh, money and abusing its employees, that sucks too. So all these concepts that used to be around where these companies like Dow chemical. And I mean, we we have a litany of companies that we could just mention that made tons of money and abused everybody. I'll I'll throw one out there that, that sucks because I like their stuff. Um, It's the difference between Nike and New Balance. Yeah. And people yeah, Nike, I hope you enjoy your, your, your shoes that they were being made in Malaysia for a kid like being paid a bowl of rice. That's not exactly. cool. And so New Balance says they're a shoe maker and everyone else is a shoe advertiser. And it's true because <laughs> they don't make their shoes. They, they outsource their shoes and they just advertise the tar out of them in a way. Now, if you look at what's interesting, the values of these companies have also changed. And so values is an interesting kind of next topic. Um, the values of the companies have changed. Because Nike, it's always to be the best. And they're number one. They've been the best for decades and they'll continue to be because that's their whole concept, be the best. But it's be the best at cost. Because like you said, there's some little kid in a factory making shoes because they want to be the best and they're going to squeeze it out of everywhere. Versus New Balance went from like number 11 to number two of shoemakers and shoe sellers in the US. And I forget their exact phrase, um, but it's the concept of, you know, when, when getting to know yourself really matters or something like that, I'll have to look it up real quick, but, it, but it's the concept of they have a deeper mission that allows people to redefine themselves. And they said, no, we're not going to ship our shoemaking overseas. We're going to make them right here in the US. We're not going to cut costs in this way. We're going to support our people. We're going to invest in the community. We're going to do it in a, in a sustainable and good way. And people caught on to that. And especially as the baby boomer generation graduated and elevated in their consciousness, they care about this stuff more. Millennials care about this stuff more. So we're starting to see larger generations of people evolving as a society where it's less about how do I squeeze every penny out of this and more about, hey, wait a minute, what's really going on when I put a dollar into this business? And they care and they're watching. This is why who you are and what you do matters just as much as what business value you're offering because people care right now and they're vetting through who to put money into and who not. And they're trying to get rid of the ones that aren't taking care of the community and themselves and the world. And they're trying to amplify the ones that are. And look at how this all, look at how it all happened though. I mean, the baby boomers trusted the corporation. We trusted wonder bread because it was like, you know, it felt. Wait, are are you a baby boomer? No, no, not, I'm not a baby boomer. Oh, you said we. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me go backwards. Yeah. (laughs) Damn, you're old. Yeah. Well, I am older than the two of you guys, but it is, it is, it's not just the baby boomers. It's the generation X and before we actually trusted the company more, you know, Nike, we grew up with these companies. We grew up being messaged effectively like, Oh wow. You know, I guess, you know, four out of, you know, four to five doctors recommend this. I should do this. And now it's like, Oh wait, there's access to information. I read an article that's total bullshit, you know? So it's, yeah, we didn't grow up in the dawn of the internet though. We, yeah, we didn't have the internet. So that's the great equalizer. So now the about us story on your website actually matters because the millennials are like, what is about them? Like, are they corporate? Are they, what are they? And I mean, corporations do a great job. Dental corporations do a great job of making them feel non-corporate because they get this stuff too. You know? I think the other thing what? that happens is people Google you and they yeah. read your Yelps and they read how you treat people 
and they read what people say about you and they read your glass door. I was doing this the other day. I was looking up a company that I wanted to go and do some work with. And, I, and, and they were actually trying to get me to two companies. One I wanted to do some work with. The second one wanted me to invest in them. And I, I was looking at them and I said, okay, I'm going to see what this company is about. So I pulled up everything I could on them and I'm scrolling through the websites and Glassdoor pops up and they had like a two out of five stars. I was like, oh, what's going on? And I clicked it and it's like, well, if you have three people who left and that's the only three people, they could have been really disgruntled, pissed off people who hated the, like just vendetta. But when there's 127 reviews and they all say the same thing (laughs) from different people, let me note that from different people, (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. there's a problem and well, one IP, one IP address, but different names. No, no, no. Different people. I'm, different I'm Like when you get uh, that many in volume and they're all saying the same thing. In this case, it says the owner belittles the team always is yelling at people. He should really realize that without his team, he never has a chance at making it. It was an IT company. Oh. It was a startup and in tech. And I was going, Whoa. So my first question was, I asked them, they want investment. I said, hey, has, what, how's the owner treat the employees? And they said, what does that matter? As long as the job gets done. And I said, no, you just lost my investment because that matters. And I know short term that might work. Long term, he's- Unsustainable. He, there's no chance that's going to work long term. You know, we, 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 Pete and I get a lot of calls from different dentists across the country to do things with them, either have them on the podcast or to help them in some manner. And Pete and I will just do our own one minute research, just like you're talking about. Yep. And you can get a really good sense of a company or a okay. dental practice for, in spe- or a specifically or a person <laughs> within a minute of web research. Now it's yeah. so much information, so transparent. Like that guy we had on the, um, on the podcast, he's out in California, the elite provider, David Esham. He reached out to us. He's like, Hey, I want to be on the podcast. And Pete's like, do you know him? I'm like, no, but give me five minutes. And I'm, I looked at his reviews, looked at his Invisalign status and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is probably a really good dude. And, and it turned out he was a really great guy. Yeah. And I it's mean, not it's perfect. Great I, mean, no, I know it's not some creative entrepreneurs who internet marketing style can make themselves look cooler than they are. But yeah, for yeah. the most part, you know, I, again, I had someone else trying to do business with me and I, I Googled him real quick. And there was a bunch of like scam websites with his name attached to it. I was like, no, thank you. I'm done. That's all I needed to hear. I asked, and I asked yeah. him on the phone call. I said, hey, what is, what is this? And he goes, oh, well, here's how it works. These other internet marketers don't like me and they're trying to ruin me. And I was like, people I'm sure don't like me, but if you Google me, none of that exists. So I'm sure <coughs> there's some truth to it. Now, I'm not just going to- There is. You know, there's some truth. I bet the you there's- there but is some, some truth, truth to that. <laughs> and if anything, it brings up a conversation to realize what really happened. Then you go, oh, okay. And you can move past it. But that concept. But there are, they're all, I mean, now the haters can do whatever they want though. I mean, geez, I, some of them, my most uh, favorite, favorite mentors and people I love the most have been torched, you know, online in the community. It's yeah. a very weird time as well. It is. And that's where you have to be able to vet through it. That where you have to spend those five minutes, comb through it and say, hey, you know, if there's, when I went to Glassdoor to talk to that company, if there's only, there was only three things, one was good, two were bad. And I'm like, that doesn't, that's not enough information. You know, I need like a hundred reviews for it to make sense and get enough of a guiding line. Now it might create a talking point to say, hey, how come two out of your three ones aren't that good? And they're like, oh, well, here's what happened. I'm like, okay, that's no big deal. But, but it's not enough to make a decision. That's where... Um, you know, you have to vet information. You have to filter. You have to see what's real. You have to ask them about it. Bring it up. 
but, but those are all concepts that now matter in the community and matter even more as we go forward. People yeah, care. Never, never was a conversation before. Yeah, yeah it wasn't part of the, no. I mean, and I didn't know this. I didn't know private people and groups could own medical newsletters. So back in the day, I never knew this. A company could buy a medical newsletter from a major medical university and they could sway the information that was published in that newsletter because it's private and they own it. Like hmm. that was a thing. So back in the day, if all we had to read was the medical publication and newsletter, we think it's coming straight from the university and straight from the researcher without realizing it's being swayed by whoever owns that publication. Now we can Google it and see what's real. And we still have to vet information, but it's a different time. People are calling BS on this stuff and being like, I don't think that's true. And here's why. And they're starting to vet information and pull out more and more information to figure out what's really true. The good news is medical universities have also pulled back on that because they learned it was a problem when a very large other company owns the publishing rights and can sway what's being said or not said in your medical university newsletter. <laughs> That's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, and so these things coming back to where we were, this is all part of this day and age. And so the concept comes two things. One, how do you, you know, get these 10 tenants into your culture? Uh, like you said, the, these are kind of high level, but how do you make them tangible? And we've talked about a lot of stuff like culture of learning, you know, create a digital library or subscribe to a SoundCloud channel that has all kinds of audiobooks that people can listen to and learn about. Do a book of the month club, like come up with topics that would be important specifically to learn about dentistry or their position or how to be a happier, healthier, stronger human and dive in together and learn stuff and practice it and, you know, share information. Read books like Firm of Endearment together and figure out mm -hmm. as a team, how do we bring more of this into our practice? And everyone's involved, not just oh, leadership says we're going to roll something out and here we go. Um, and, and so create a culture where people are thriving and learning new stuff and they're bringing stuff to the table and they're invited. That if your receptionist just read something great that might help the practice and she brings it up in the next meeting, you guys go, wow, that's great. Yeah, please pass it over. I'd love to learn more. Instead of, oh, oh, thanks, but no thanks. Like, yeah, because mm -hmm. you're yeah. the receptionist. I mean, like, I mean, we're talking about engagement know? here too. <clears throat> you know, that's the buzzword engagement. It's just people actually having their brains turned on while they're working. That's the, that, that's basically it. I know it's a buzzword now, how to get it more engagement. And in dentistry, I, I don't know if this is kind of rolls across all different companies, but in dentistry in particular, the highest item on our P&L, the largest expense by far is your team, your, 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 uh, your employment costs. Upwards of, if you're doing it great, it's 25%. There's not a single other line item that should be that high. Um, so, you know, having an, an engaged team, a team that's actually thinking is huge. And if, so that's, that's, I just wanted to, you know, kind of bring that parallel to dentistry. Let me throw this out there too. Cause we, you said values, which is really important. And if, if, excuse my, uh, iceberg here, but if we look at an iceberg and we see what's below the water and above the water, What's above the water when it comes to values in an organization is all the stuff we write on the wall and tell each other. You know, care about the community, caring, loving, be a good person, work hard, do all this good stuff. That's what we write on the wall and tell each other. What's yeah, down, here, down here under the surface is called how things really go on around Because <coughs> if you've, I, I go to a lot of businesses and talk to a lot of people. And what's funny is you, you look at the poster on the wall and it's like, 
Community first. Employees matter. Yeah, Make the guy all the crew boat all rowing together. The eagle exactly. flying. Teamwork. Excellence. Which we Excellence. need to replace those because those are getting old. <laughs> but, I know. Talk but about Amanda's. Amanda's yeah. Amanda's uh, poster. We're working on it. We're working on that side too. But but what's what's interesting is getting the heartbeat of saying, hey, wait a minute. What's going on under the surface? How are things really done around here? How do people actually communicate with each other? What does it sound like when a disagreement happens from team member to team member? Are people actually sharing information from department to department? Are they working together? Are they, you know, the, the thought of wanting it to be there is one thing, but then the second thought of how do you get the real pulse? And, and that's something we've been fascinated about figuring out how do you get that real pulse because um, if you can get the real pulse on what's really going on within the environment, mm-hmm. all of a sudden in that moment, now you can start to figure out where the adjustments are needed, where things are in alignment with those 10 key tenets of a firm and endearment and where things are out of alignment. And it's like, oh, snap. It doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just means it's out of alignment. Like, you know, we, we want loyalty. But if we look at how Department A treats Department B, there's no loyalty. Like they throw each other under the bus if they can. <laughs> it's happened five times this year. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. We need to come up how to incentivize loyalty within this culture over here. Yeah. Like, how do, how do we help cheer them on? How do we help make that a thing? Maybe a token system or a ticket system. It, it's silly. As humans, we'll do so much for a freaking yeah. irrelevant token. But the concept we, we, of... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to bring that to something relevant. Like, we, we have the uh, SDG Spodak Dental Group bucks. We all have uh, 50 bucks every month and they can't be redeemed for cash. They can only be redeemed for experiences. And we um, give them out for people living out our core values, which are like pursue growth and learning, be an authentic leader, those types of things. And we hand them out to each other and celebrate it in the morning when you, when you get that um, token of appreciation. But I, I think the one thing you can always hear when there's a divisive culture by one single word that's used, it's they. Yeah. When there's a they, when people are talking about someone else in your office and, oh, they did that, you yeah. know, it's we, we did that. You know, yeah. if your admin people made the wrong appointment, like, oh, you know, they, they made that appointment wrong. Well, no, it's we, we need to talk. We need to, you mm. know, they is the beginning of breakdown. You can't mm. be us and them. Interesting. It's all, yeah. it's all we. And, and whenever you hear it, they, there's a problem. Exactly. And I'll piggyback on that. If you guys were playing football and they, the linemen weren't working with they, the quarterback, and they said, well, screw the quarterback. We're just going to let him have it this time. They step out of the way and a 300 pound defensive lineman comes right up the middle and beats him to the pulp. That's, that will never win a game. And for some reason, offices work like that. It's silo mentality where one group knows information and they make decisions and the other group has to just deal with it because it's already done too bad. And that's lack of transparency. That's lack of communication. And, And so figuring out, like you said, you know, the Spodak bucks, how do you give them a way to incentivize and, and hopefully each other when someone helps them and someone supports them, someone is, you know, shows up and makes the extra little help and that makes the difference. And they go, wow. And they can give them some of those bucks to, you know, support each other and say, Hey, here's a couple of my bucks. Thank you so much for helping me with that. It meant a lot. And I want to celebrate you real quick. Like, you know, what's funny from each other is amazing. You know, it's funny. I just remembered one of the tenants of good to great is the rugged individualist. So, exactly. so the, when you're a rugged individualist, the John Wayne, the uh, Lee Iacocca, the, you know, these larger than life, Stephen Jobs, yep. that, starts, that starts the process of siloing in information and fear yep. and all that stuff because yep. you have this iconic leader that's not, that comes up with all the ideas. He, he makes people stupid around him. 
So, you know, the, system, the, the culture that you're talking about where people are free to exchange ideas is not a singular siloed leader. Exactly. It's shared leadership. It's shared information. And um, that was one of the good to great things I remembered. I remembered yeah. it was always these, one, you know, the good to great companies had, had leaders that were a little less, they, they, they didn't cause power vacuums when they left. They also, the other thing that they were able to rate this on is they would look at the newsletter and they would look at the, like the the yearly magazine that came out from the company if they were big enough. And what they found was depending on the size of the picture of the CEO or owner showed them how much of this occurred. Because when it was a giant picture of the boss and a big old Mm -hmm. quote, they were in trouble. <laughs> the bigger the picture of the boss, the more in trouble the company was. That's literally the ratio they found when they did the research and analyzed the types of companies in this category. And what they found was when the boss just had a little tiny picture and the team had a huge picture, the company was doing great because it was focused on supporting the team, taking care of the team, taking care of the community. It wasn't focused on how incredible the leader is and, and you know, how big their ego could be in this year's newsletter. And so they found that, that that was an easy tell just by looking at the company's yearly newsletter or yearly magazine update. It was an That's easy awesome. tell at, at how the company is really structured. Was it wow. the team or was it the leader that was out front and, and everyone was praising and excited about? And the more team involvement, the faster and bigger the company grew. That's awesome. Such validation Yeah. for the stuff so, we talk about. Hopefully all this stuff is useful. I mean, these are things that we, yeah. my wife and I have been studying. Um, and, and we're trying to figure out, you know, a big thing we're focused on is we were trying to research, how do you figure out this mm-hmm. um, in, in a tangible way? And, and we, we ran across recently, uh, we just spent two weeks getting certified in this freaking tool. Uh, it's just a measurement tool created by Ernst & Young, and it helps with a 15-minute survey get this into metrics. So like this right here not this, like this is already on the wall, but the stuff that how it really goes on, it helps capture in a quick survey, everything that's going on below the surface. And it, it, it's pretty remarkable. We, we've had a lot of fun learning about this. And it's so fascinating looking at the different companies and how they all do. And, and some are doing great. And, and some, some look like they're doing great, but have giant pictures of their leaders out front. And then you survey how it's really going on. And no one wants to put their name on the survey, so it's anonymous. Yeah. But then you get real feedback of what the culture is really like, and, and you go, oh, shoot. Uh, yeah, that's not, as, that's not as happy as it seems. We need to make a couple adjustments there. Good stuff. But it's fun. And that, that's been, you know, that's that third category of optimizing the human, trying to grow the business, but then how do you create a space? And, and going back to where I was at the beginning, how do you create a space where it's an environment that they can really thrive as a human. Um, Cause if I can't convince everyone to, to quit and go live their dream life, then at least I can help the business create a space where, you know, and you can help and Craig can help and all the business owners and dentist practice owners who are listening, like they can help create a space where people can really thrive. Um, love it. I love it. I love it. I love this topic. I could go on and on for about this. This is my, Pete, if you're, your last time the optimizing human performance is your wheelhouse, this is definitely mine. This is cool stuff. I love it. I thought it might be interesting. Thank, yeah, yeah thank that so was much, awesome, Jerry. Jerry. Thank you, though. <laughs> I'm going to have to re-listen to it just like so over those principles again or I'll get the book. 
Yeah. But, uh, so, so how do we get involved? I know now you're certified. So, you know, obviously for selfish reasons, I want to do it for myself. Uh, but how does the other people, I know how to get in touch with you pretty readily. How do, how do we get our listeners involved in this for you? Um, if they want to do an assessment, like we were talking about, it, it shows you three things. It's 10, 15 minute assessment. You send it out to your team. They fill it out online. It's anonymous. Um, it shows them, it has a, a dot plot where they pick the 10 values that matter to them most. And so you get to know who the individuals are in your company as a group. And it shows you what's most important value wise to the, to the individuals. It then shows a second dot plot of how the company views their current culture. So how the team views the culture of the current company. And then the third one says how they believe it needs to be to be a high performance, high profit culture. And so the, the team will tell you what they need most to be at their best and to really qualify for that high performance, high, pro, high profit. Um, so we created a little landing page if people are interested in this stuff. Uh, it's just jerickrobbins.com forward slash culture. And, and we don't do the trainings on all this stuff. You know, go get the book from good firm of endearment and all these other ones. Like we don't train on that jazz. Uh, we, we just help the measurement process of it to figure out what's really going on. And our cool. thought is if we can give you a pulse on what's real as the leadership or, you know, management of the company, you guys can start making adjustments, uh, based on these types of tenants and all the stuff you guys already do to, to just keep it thriving. And if something yeah, goes that- a little off track, you can catch it early and turn it right back around. Uh, without having to wait 10 years to go, oops, and, and get your butt kicked. That's awesome. Cool. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Jared. Thanks for the time. Um, that was really, really informative. That as was always. Awesome. And, and I, I, um, I personally want to connect with you about this stuff because there's nothing worse than having your core values, what you think are your core values, and then having your team report back something totally different. That lack of alignment is going to set you way off course. Yeah. So it's good to get that information and find out where you're really at. And my thought is if you can catch it and if you catch it and it's great, high five yourself and just check in again next year. It's like going to the dentist and doing your blood work and coming back and it's awesome. You're like, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) But if you go one year and it comes back and it ain't that awesome, it's not over. It's It's time to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Focus on some stuff. Now you know where to focus, where to improve and, and check it again next year and see how it's doing. Awesome. Jarek, thanks again for spending the time with us and that being a, a, two-part, a two-parter for us. So I know your time is valuable. So, man, thank you so much. I learned a lot today. I'm actually going to go back and re-listen to this again because I, I want to get over those principles, like I said. But, uh, yeah, man, you're, you're the bum. Appreciate, appreciate you uh, taking the time with us this morning. Of course. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jarek. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. See thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.